0: Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton, and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment.
1: Hi, I'm Andrew Carews. I'm the service lead for Virtual Ward and the IV Therapy Service. I'm currently working within the project team to set up this uh, virtual ward service.
0: I think I know what this is, but tell me, what is Virtual Ward?
1: So Virtual Ward's actually been around for many, many years, probably up to 20. So it's it's been around a while. and It's probably been kind of developed in many different ways over the years. So traditionally, it was always an admission avoidance service where you had a team of people caring for patients within the community, they would put extra layers of clinical cover and expertise to try and keep people out of hospital. That wasn't digitally enabled, especially in towns and cities where it was thought that you didn't really need that remote monitoring because you could actually see patients face to face. And in some more remote areas across the world at that time, they did start to use remote monitoring as part of their own virtual ward because of, you know, vast locations, parts of America, Australia, where actually to get a face to face appointment is almost impossible within a, a reasonable t- time frame. So there were digital solutions back then. And then I think virtual ward kind of it just lost its appeal or there were just other priorities. And, and I think it's really raised its head again during COVID from a step down perspective. So the hospitals, needed to step down patients really quickly because of the pressure for beds so they were discharging patients with oxygen saturation monitors and they were able to monitor them virtually.
0: The technology side of things I think that's really interesting because at the minute we send a clinician goes to the home deals with the patient and then goes to the next one talk me through the process here talk me through how it's going to work.
1: We're kind of joining teams, really, or we're aligning with the acute trust. So we're we're going to be using the same technology. So irrespective of whether someone is stepping up or stepping down, step up being community-based admission avoidance, step down being uh, shortening a hospital length of stay, getting someone home earlier than you would have usually been allowed to do because you you wanted a few more days of monitoring. Um, They will be given quite a a big bit of kit to monitor many things such as blood pressure, oxygen saturation, temperature. Uh, We've even got a digital stethoscope so they can record their chest sounds, respiration rate. Plus, the patients will have to uh, kind of answer some questions each time. You know, how are you feeling? How's your breathing today? Is your cough getting any worse? and that will feed back into our dashboard. So all that data will be available to the staff who are overseeing. So that's not saying that someone won't need a visit, but ordinarily we may have wanted to visit that patient daily irrespective of how they how well they work, because we didn't know until we got there. So we would book these visits quite regularly and um, transmitting this data, whether it's three times a day or continuous, it allows us to keep an eye on the patient and, you know, keep an eye on the responses to the questionnaire. So it gives you that security that, okay, I don't need to see this patient today. I might just give him a phone call, just say, we're here just to give him a bit of reassurance, but everything seems to be going well. Uh, We'll call you again tomorrow. So it allows you probably to take more patients because you've got that oversight of, quite a lot of people, but you're happy with a proportion of them, whereas a smaller proportion you may still need to go and visit.
0: It's very specifically patients with respiratory disease, frailty and heart failure, isn't it? Is it, Is it just limited to those people?
1: It is, but frailty covers a lot of disease process. So frailty is, is a term to describe someone's ability to perform their of activities that you and i would perform without thinking we use a frailty score and if you need lots of care and and it just means that your frailty score is high and if you need that much care then that impacts on so many more things in your life how we're starting virtual ward is for patients that are kind of entering a a critical stage as in they're deteriorating so our aim in the step up model so the community-based model is to prevent avoidable hospital admission. So there are, we know there are lots of uh, people in our communities that may find it hard to access general practice maybe, or may not want to bother people about their illness, or the teams that are managing them, they understand that someone may be deteriorating, but they just can't necessarily put in the resource that is required. So it's not just about the monitoring, it's about what else Virtual Ward will add to that offer to our patients. I think what we will be able to offer is an enhanced hospital type service at home. So because they're monitored, we're able to offer more um, and really kind of push the boundaries slightly of what we do in patients' homes. Uh, but we want to kind of showcase this with a group of patients with this service. and if a community nurse thinks that her patient is potentially heading to hospital because they're slowly deteriorating and or their leg that they're used to dressing might be getting infected and they're thinking that the patient is not really coping with that well. Um, they may call virtual ward for the monitoring, yes, but, Can we think of something else to treat the patient at home with? So can we start intravenous therapy at home? We don't do that now. So the answer is yes, we can. And we're going to step in with um, lots of different treatment offers. There will be a criteria, of course, but the main criteria is without this referral, do you think the patient could end up in hospital? Not will, but could that's the most important factor in my view because we want to be able to make a difference we want to be able to kind of reduce the pressures for our ambulance service our ae department and the wards in the hospital and that's why they're investing so heavily in community services like virtual ward
0: yeah i was going to say the knock on effects of this must be huge for the system
1: it could be and and you know we want to head for Having a, a caseload of up to 177 patients, that's a big ward. This project goes across our normal boundaries, so we're covering Yarmouth and Waveney as well as all the places. So um, we're doing it across the whole integrated care system. We're trying to reduce the postcode lottery type. Well, I want that service in in that place. There's quite a lot of that across the country, I think, and I think you know, we've been requested to uh, create the same service across the whole sector, which I really support.
0: It does make me think though, you were saying about that big pack and the the monitors that they're going to get. Is it going to be a bit daunting potentially for some patients and how will we support them through that?
1: So the answer is yes, it will be daunting. Some patients won't be able to operate it what we've done in the design of our service is each patient will receive a visit to initiate them to the service as a you know to do the initial assessment but a big part of that assessment and and that visit will be going through the the kit every every patient's given like a smartphone and really try and test it with the patient and i think sometimes with the step down patients from the acute hospital outwards, they're kind of, they may have gone through that in hospital, but patients don't retain much that they're taught in hospital. So I think that will help actually sitting with them at home. Hopefully there'll be a relative there maybe to support, but I'm not naive to think that all patients are going to be um, really wanting this technology because some just won't. And we'll just have to work with that. As I say, the technology is part of our offer. And if that doesn't work for some, if they struggle, then we'll have to adjust the programme for them and we may want to ask them the questions that we would have ordinarily asked on the on the system. We may need to do that verbally with some and say, oh, could you just put your oxygen saturation monitor on and then they may need more direction
0: it's about that education piece and just reminding people that actually a hospital stay is not fun. In fact, that could be the driver for encouraging people to learn to use the equipment if they are a bit nervous, is reminding them what the alternative is.
1: I I think you're right and I've been working across the acute service and community services for many years and the deconditioning that occurs when someone is in a hospital bed has always been a problem and I think that's a bigger problem now than it's ever been because it's so busy in the acute trust and patients tend to not do much in hospital they call it pajama paralysis because there's nothing for them to do there's no chores there's no you know they're not making their own lunch and every, you know everything's done for them unfortunately that causes dramatic problems with your body and increases falls risk because you've done less walking All the floors are perfectly flat in hospital. Um, You probably won't be asked to do a few steps every day. Whereas at home, as you're recovering, you would venture out to the kitchen into the bathroom. And so you would maintain that kind of level of physical ability. So that's a really big issue. And we also know that if patients haven't been very active during their hospital stay, when they get home and become very active, their blood pressure can drop quite substantially each time they stand up, causing a falls risk again. Nutrition tends to be better at home because they eat the food they like. They've got support from family and friends. They're with their pets, which is quite traumatic to be separated from your pet, especially if you live on your own. So there's many, many advantages of staying at home. But we have to keep the right patients at home, because some people really need hospital and there's no other choice.
0: This whole new service is about, like you said, preventing avoidable hospital admissions. Sometimes they are unavoidable and they have to go in. But yeah, you're right. I think that's a really interesting point. So I know that at the moment, the uh, North Norwich, for example, have been running a virtual ward. How is our offering going to differ from what they're doing at the moment?
1: I think the biggest difference from my perspective is the patients that go through the Norfolk and Norwich step down virtual ward have had all their diagnostics done. They may have had one or two scans, they've had five or six blood tests, they've had their treatment started. So they know a lot about the patient before they're discharged and before they're onboarded onto their step down virtual ward. The difference with the step up and, and it's where the kind of maybe the risk increases a bit is we're referred a patient. We don't have any data to start with. So we need to find that information as soon as possible, whether that's through blood tests, of course, your uh, general observations, really good history taking. We will have access to hospital tests and maybe you know chest x-rays for example um, but we want it to be a really slick process if we do need a chest x-ray we need to be confident that the patient is going to get in and get out really quickly and continue their care at home so there's a lot of unknown with our service so the patients will be assessed by a clinician and they will be the ones that are referring but we'll have to do some of that diagnostic work as well whereas when patients are coming out of the acute trust, the diagnostics have already been done. So that's a big difference there. That's why we need to be very careful about, you know, this needs to be an avoidable admission. I think when lots of patients will be referred to us, I think there'll be a good idea of the diagnosis. And GPs may have seen the patient, may be pretty confident that there's a suspicion of urinary tract infection or, cellulitis, which is an infection of the skin. But there's still a lot of unknowns because we won't have blood test results at that stage because they've just been seen. So we won't have test results. We'll have a a clinical opinion, really. The plan is that you can invite your patient into hospital for maybe a two hour review. They may do a chest x-ray some urgent bloods. A consultant may see them and then they come back home because we're confident that actually we're on the right path with this treatment or they may adjust the treatment and still send the patient home. So loads of opportunities and we're going to have to work hard together to, to kind of make this work for our patients
0: real system working exactly how we sort of thought it would go when we developed the ICS the integrated care system this is I suppose what we always hoped we would have that we would be working closely with the GPs with the hospitals with social services and that we would have this kind of joined up approach with the patient at the heart of it and that really sounds like this is one of the first steps towards that.
1: It feels like one of the first steps, especially covering the whole of the ICS with the service of um, Virtual Ward. So, yeah, I'm really optimistic.
0: When can we expect to see this up and running?
1: So we're hoping to go live in Norwich. And I think that's sensible to choose one place because it's a brand new service. We're testing lots of stuff, as in we've got new staff, we've got a new System 1 unit, we've got new bits of kit that we're trialing on each other now, but we're not trialing them on patients yet, mid to late September, and we're all geared up for that. So so in each place, we're going to have our clinical teams delivering the care, providing that support for patients, going to see the new patients, discharging the patients at the end of their uh, virtual ward episode. But we've also got a hub, um, a virtual ward hub to set up as well. So this is going to be in Norwich, based in Reed House. They're going to sit alongside Neat, um, and they're going to be processing referrals in triaging and providing that monitoring oversight across the whole ICS. So that's going to be centralised. All the teams in each place will be able to access the monitoring, but of course, their clinical staff and they maybe out and about driving, seeing patients, so we just needed that consistent approach. So we've uh, so all referrals will come to the hub, either electronically, by telephone, and they'll be processed, they'll be triaged and then allocated to the right place and to the right staff member. Lots of patients won't need high levels of care. They'll need just that initial visit and the monitoring. And some patients it will be very clear from, from the beginning that this patient's quite unwell and we're going to have to provide a high level of care, lots of input. Our most senior clinician needs to go out and do the initial assessment. There's going to be a, a variety of uh, acuities of, of patient presentation. You know, we'll start with one patient because we, we're we not going to take on a caseload. We We need to wait for our first referral it will be an interesting time you know during that first patient and I'm not sure if I'll tell the patient at the beginning of their episode or at the end probably the end and say well done you were our first.
0: (laughs) Where can people go if they want to find out more information about virtual ward if their interest is piqued?
1: So they can contact me through email is probably best We will be starting a comms kind of programme, so there'll be lots of different ways to learn more about virtual ward. So we'll we'll be putting lots of information onto the internet. I've already been out to uh, speak with lots of teams across the whole of the ICS, so we'll be doing more of that. If you've got any burning questions, then do drop me a line. The project has been really complex and we have been really, really busy one of those busy work streams is the actual recruitment. Uh lead clinicians overseeing that hub. They're all starting in September. So really exciting. You know, we need a clinical lead on every day, seven days a week. It's this, this is not a nine to five Monday to Friday service. This is a seven day service. So we will operate every day of the year.
0: And it's eight to eight, isn't it?
1: It is. We're changing the way we're offering urgent community care, really, because we know of the issues with accessing care, as I mentioned earlier. And one of those issues is weekends shut down. General practice tends to shut at around, say, four, five, six o'clock. But who can you refer to if you've seen that patient at four o'clock? Paramedics clearly work seven days a week. They see patients all over the weekend and they can refer patients to us directly directly. Sunday morning at half nine, if they wish, and we we may be able to get to that patient within an hour. This is going to be really helpful for our paramedic colleagues, because it's a guaranteed follow-up. Whereas I think when paramedics see patients, you know, within their home setting, at the moment, then there's no guarantee that this patient is going to continue to be managed until their disease process has improved or completed. So I think this will give paramedics much, many more options rather than to convey to hospital because they're worried, they're not sure if this patient is going to deteriorate further. This will kind of assist with that, and we're hoping to get lots of referrals from paramedics. This is part of our urgent community response, which we will endeavor to make Norfolk and Waveney part of a you know a gold standard service for admission avoidance and urgent care at home so that's that's our aim that's where I'm heading for
0: thank you for listening to take a moment with NCHC if you've enjoyed this podcast please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.